0: Hi, I'm Peter Malouk. Welcome to A Thousand Miles from Wall Street. I'm here with our guest, Gary Rossi from Fidelity. Thanks for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. Good to be here, Peter. You've spoken at a few of our symposiums, and you're always one of the most popular uh, speakers that we have. And I think part of it's very compelling. And the other part is everyone's horrified about cybercrime. And you do a great job of taking that topic that I think a lot of people find a mystery and and simplifying it for them and giving them some practical tips on how they can protect themselves. So I really
1: appreciate you joining us today. My, my pleasure. I try to make it more of an empowering versus a scary situation or doom and gloom, but I think talking straight is, is really what we need to so they understand how it happens and then they can hopefully use some of the tips to uh, protect themselves yeah, and their family. I, I, I know that a lot of people tell me, a lot of our clients tell me that that's one of the f-
0: action items they get done in the first few days uh, after they see you speak, so, some of the tips that you give them. So I think our listeners are going to get a lot of practical knowledge that they can implement right away. Hope so. Well, let's start with the definition of a cyber criminal. I mean, it sounds you know all we would think about is somebody in Eastern Europe, and, and I know oftentimes that's the case. But okay. what is uh, the definition of a cyber a cyber criminal?
1: Well, cybersecurity, cyber fraud experts. We usually bucket it really in three groups. The first two groups I highlight aren't the ones in my view that they should really be worried about, but they're talked a lot about in the press. So when we talk about cyber uh, security, cyber fraud, a lot of times people think of what's in the paper. It's Russia, it's China, it's North Korea, it's Iran. And there's no doubt they are one of the top threats. But from my perspective and what we see in the industry, that is not who typically is coming after our end customers' right. wealth. But I like to highlight that those are important. Let the government, let the corporate security, cyber experts at the companies pay attention to them, but don't lose sleep over those folks. And that's good news because their sophistication, not that the cyber fraud fraudsters that we'll talk about, aren't sophisticated, but the nation states have a different mission. They're persistent and they're off the charts as far as their talent level, but those are not the ones that I view people need to be worried about. The second group that I typically highlight are hacktivists or activists, because there's also a lot of talk sometimes in the paper on the WikiLeaks of the world. Those are not who we're seeing coming after our our end client's wealth. So the the true adversary, really, who I like people to be better educated on, are the organized criminals, like you mentioned, Peter. A lot of them are operating the ring leaders of these criminal forms for profit motivated are out of the former Soviets. So definitely Ukraine, Russia, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. And they're very serious. They're, they're certainly in it for money. And they get involved in a lot of other things other than some of the examples we'll talk about. They'll get into running drugs on the internet. They'll get into child exploitation, pornography, murder for hire. They'll stop at nothing, many of these groups. But the ones that I'll focus on today are, are the ones that are really coming after where our, our customers' accounts are. their operating bank accounts. Accounts or investment accounts, etc. So,
0: if we talk about that specific group of people, which it's interesting, you mentioned the first group. It, all we hear in the news is about um, attacks on our uh, trying to get secrets from our military or businesses. The, the fights we're in with China now about about them trying to steal cybersecurity uh, uh, secrets. I was at a client's uh, facility in California, and they protect companies, bigger companies, in the military against cybercrime, right. and they have a war room, and they had all these red lines coming in, and they were going into military bases and, and mid-sized businesses, mainly in the United States. And then all these blue lines coming in, and they were coming in more to small businesses and, and uh, you know, higher profile individuals. And I said, well, what are the differences between the lines? And they said, China and Russia. <laughs> Just very, sure. very different very different targets. But going back to the threat to you know, our, our typical listener, to you and me, uh, we know where they're mostly coming from.
1: And what are some of their typical tactics? so one of the, the type of cyber crimes that we see on a regular basis and we've been seeing this for years and years of what we refer to as an account compromise or an account takeover so and they don't change their fraud schemes by the way that often once they find something that works time is money for them and it's, it's repeatable so they, they try to have some efficiencies and that's one of the themes I'd love your listeners to take away is you don't have to do a lot of things but you need to make yourself a harder target you only need to do two or three things and more more. More often than not, they're gonna go to the the weaker link, people who don't pay close attention to good digital hygiene. So this account compromise scheme at a high level really has two steps. The first step is they want to gain control of end clients, username and password, their credentials. That's step one. That's usually the easier part. And step two is moving the money. And there's a couple different ways they'll do that. And I'll highlight one of the main ways we see there. But from the Um, obtaining the credentials or harvesting credentials. There's a few different ways they do it. One way, an easy way for them, which is why we recommend people to have unique passwords, they'll take the data breach data from the latest data breach, and we all know that there's many more than those than we'd like to to hear about. They'll take the latest data breach data, could be from the Marriott data breach that recently happened, 500 million username and passwords, or you name the, the one that's out there, and they'll run an automated script to um, bank on individuals using the same username and password for multiple things. that's one way they'll do it. Second way, and probably more prevalent, is through the use of malicious software or malware. So these criminal organizations that are organized, they'll have specialty people within their organization, and, and some of them are coders. They'll write this malicious software. And if they get this code on their end device, and by the way, they are preying on end users and their lack of digital hygiene. Not that they don't go after corporate America, but they learned long ago that the weak link is us. Right. So if it gets on end devices, and it's not just desktops, laptops, tablets, they go after smartphones as well. When that device is prompted to go to a financial service institution, that's when it captures the username and password and it gets sent over to a computer where the the cyber criminal is. They'll test out to see if they can get in. And that individual's job is to harvest these username and passwords. And if I'm the owner of one of these rings, I'm going to pay them if their code works. So if you put in some mechanisms that they can't get in after you... Use that first username and password. You're going to be much better off. So you're saying that they send you an email
0: and they say, and they mimic maybe your a bank or something. Say, hey, well, I need you to click this and
1: download this, and you click that, and now they're on your computer. Correct. That's one of the ways. So there's there's two ways that we typically talk about. One is the wide net or indiscriminate targeting. Mm. That's where they don't know the, the specific name of the victim or their wealth, and they'll cast the wide net. So your example would be a phishing email. So yeah. it'll be a trusted source. Mm. They'll sign up for those services oftentimes to see how that company interacts. They'll mirror that communication, but then they'll they'll put in, click on this link to update a software, click on this link to provide a particular piece of personal data. So one theme to put in the bucket of good digital hygiene is don't click on links if you don't have to. Right. Don't automatically trust a particular email or a website. So web surfing is another way. They'll, they'll lure people to go to a particular website. There's a whole cottage industry called malvertising, <laughs> malware in ads. These criminals will set up a shell company and buy ad space. And you happen to visit what you think is a legitimate ad, you may be directed to a, a site. They may go after sites that don't spend a lot of time and effort and money on cybersecurity. You know, it could be things like libraries or charities or religious organizations. So it's no longer just the nefarious sites where pornography or illegal gambling sites, where that used to be where more of this, you know, the malicious software was at. They're very uh, diabolical on how they trick us into going to their sites. That step, that's one of the ways, indiscriminate targeting. The other way is specific targeting. This is where Where they'll develop lists of who people that they think have wealth um, will fall prey to their scam. They'll refer to this as the whaling technique. So people who are, they think are big fish, easy for them to buy these lists, maybe just sort by a zip code based on property values. And then what they do is they'll develop a profile or a dossier. They will do some due diligence through basic desktop research. So they'll acquire all kinds of different personal data from date of birth, social security number, cell phone records, email addresses. And they'll develop um, this profile and try to figure out what are their passions. They'll pull at their heartstrings. And this is where they'll send what we refer to in the industry as a spear-fishing email. A spear being the email going after the big fish. And they'll find out where do their kids go to school. Or where their grandkids go to school? What is their alma mater? What's their favorite charity? We all put out information in social media or the, the digital world for well-intended purposes. And sometimes these adversaries will use that against us where they craft these spear phishing emails. So then if you happen to click on a particular link or a photo or a document within a very customized email, you'd be susceptible to getting their malware. So that's one of the other ways that they deliver the malware.
0: So step number one, don't click and on links, links right? Right. What would be another practical thing that people um, could do to just decrease the odds of being a victim.
1: So for that step one of harvesting the username and password, uh, I would highly recommend wherever you have your wealth, leverage an extra password at login. Many people call this two-factor authentication or Mm -hmm. two-step authentication. That way, if they get your original username and password, most often they're going to test out to see if they get in. But if you've activated that, then the bad guy, when they go to test it, they're going to get a second screen that's looking for that one-time password. Word. Right, And more often than not, they're just going to move on to the next target. It's it's much harder for them to defeat that two-factor authentication. And one of the reasons um, you know, I believe that it's a good control is most of the studies show more often than not, um, it's in the single digits that people actually take advantage of it. So if they have 100 people on a list and two or three or 4% are the only ones doing the two-factor, they know just to move on to the next person. So so you don't have to do a lot of things, but I grew up in Burlington, Vermont, and we had a saying there, you don't need to outrun the bear, yeah. <laughs> but you need to do a few things to make yourself a less yeah. attractive target, and that would, sure. be, cool. that would be one of them. And so and dual-factor authentication, for those that don't know, it
0: basically you enter your username and password, and then they send a code to your cell phone or something like that, and then you enter that code in. And so as, lo- as long as... Um, you've got that in place, it's nearly impossible for somebody.
1: It certainly makes it much more difficult. So sending a text message is one method. Many firms, we offer a couple different ways where you load a token, uh, a piece of software to soft token, where you actually touch a button on your phone or whatever device you load it up on and you self-generate that code. Uh, So that's another uh, way of two-factor authentication. So the step of the fraud, they acquire your username and password, but the harder thing for them to do is actually move the money out of the accounts. Because many of us, your firm, our firm, we have ways to monitor money movement. We have Mm -hmm. controls behind the scenes. So what they try to do is they'll oftentimes try to open up an account in a customer's name. So they go back to that Dossier or the profile that they would have created, and now they log on to a financial institution and they try to create an account in this individual's name. They're trying to defraud. Mm -hmm. So they have their name, their address, their date of birth, their social security number, and they'll log into that particular, say it's a bank, and they'll log into it and go to the profile page, open up an online account, and they have the right information. Now what happens is... By law, we all have to know our customer. That institution is supposed to check with one of the three credit bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian, to make sure that uh, they know their customer. And what happens is they're supposed to send a welcoming letter or a account opening document to the address on file. And I don't know about your household, but I know my household, we get all kinds of junk mail and catalogs. And if it isn't uh, an institution that we're used to dealing with, sometimes that'll go into the shredder. So in my view, that control isn't as effective as it it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So in any event, this account oftentimes will get opened up. And if it's in that first name, now it's a first party transaction. If they have the username and password from stealing their credentials, they can log into their real accounts, then see what the wealth is, mm-hmm. then they log into a new account that's in that individual's name. Now it's a first-party transaction, and now they can do what's called an EFT, an electronic funds transfer, where mm-hmm. they try to stay under the radar. They may pull 5000 or 10000 same day and then have standing instructions to wire that funds typically overseas to accounts they control. They refer to them as money mule accounts, mm-hmm. and they go to the ringleader or whatever country they're in. One of the best ways to protect against that is if you freeze your credit. That way, that would significantly hamper a fraudster opening up an account in your name because that institution has to check with one of the three credit bureaus. So if, as the bad guy's trying to operate as them online, that institution that they're opening the account has to check with Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian. If you've f- frozen your credit, that significantly reduces the risk from it, f- from it. They may be able to do that because they're not going to have the pin to unlock that account. Right. So that'd be the second thing. What do you think of password programs? And those are becoming more and more popular. I'm a fan of password managers, but I'm a fan of ones that you use their security properly. So two-factor authentication. I would never use a password manager unless I leverage an extra password at login because if the if the adversary can see that you have a password manager, that's the keys of the kingdom. So I would I would pick one that has highly rated security and leverage the two-factor authentication. But that's an excellent way to be able to store and generate unique passwords because the scenario I described earlier, they refer to that as credential stuffing. If if you're using the same username and password for multiple things, um, that's a problem. So if you have a password manager, you can leverage that to help just you organize. Just make sure organize. it's
0: got the dual factor authentication as part of it. What, how do you feel about, I, I saw you speak a couple times about using just
1: a completely separate computer for financial institutions. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So the, the third thing that I, I usually talk about, definitely two factor in my view is the first thing to do, freeze the credit. If you want to create a scenario that reduces the risk of of getting malware in the two ways that Um, that I mentioned before that they attempt to get this credential stealing malware is through the use of email, so phishing email, spear phishing email, and through web surfing. What I do, what my wife and I do, is we have a dedicated device. So when we're logging into the accounts we care about, where our wealth is, we break out a separate device and we don't do the two things that would expose us the most to malware. With that device, we never email with it, ever, full stop, and we never web surf with it, ever, full stop. We use a different device to conduct our email business. We do, use a different device to surf the web, shop Amazon, check social media. So as long as you connect this device to a network that you control, so say it's your home network that you have some level of, of password protection or a, a router that you've, you've set up um, that network, or you use your company's network that has a level of security, or you use your data plan uh, to log in. With that dedicated device, you'd be much better off where you're not exposing yourself to um, to the malware I describe. And there's other nasty malware out there as well. So I like to have some confidence that the device I'm using to log into my financial accounts is best protected. Okay, that's a great tip. There's there's one other common scheme that we're seeing, if you don't mind no, me please. highlighting. This is what we refer to as the business email compromise or the Email account compromise. So this is where the fraudsters take over someone's email, and one of the more common ways that they do that is they bank on many of us using the same username and password for our email that we do for other accounts. And many of us have set up our email years and years ago when you probably don't remember what username and password we used. So if you happen to unfortunately use the same one that you did where there was a data breach, they're very successful in getting into folks' uh, email. And if they can read your email, it creates a whole swath of fraud opportunities for them. So from a personal level, many of us will correspond with, say, a real estate broker or a car dealership or whatever the business transaction or with an advisor. And if that The fraudster can read, here's a business transaction that's happening. Then they'll wait to the very end where there's going to be a disbursement of funds. They'll log into that individual's email and send instructions to whoever, say it's an escrow agent or an attorney, say, please wire the funds to this account that I just set up, and they have some level of exigent circumstances. These type of frauds are into the billions, and the FBI and others are doing a very good job in my view of of, um, tracking down folks. So that's another area that I would um, encourage people, A, to use a unique password, username and password for the email, and many email providers now are offering two-factor authentication. So for example, if you have a Gmail account, Google happens to use something called a um, a Google Authenticator, where you can hit a button and you get a six-digit one-time code to log into your email, and it's a much better way to protect your email. That's great. Those are great tips. You talked about how when they're really
0: focused on somebody, they'll try to gather information and approach them. And that makes me think of social media. Do you have any tips? I mean, so many people are on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and
1: Instagram. Do you have any tips for how to not overshare and protect yourself? Sure. So from my standpoint, we we refer to this as someone's digital footprint. So what I like people to think about are are two things when we talk about your digital footprint. One is aware. So what you and I or, or everyone puts out on social media for well-intended purposes, just know that that could be used against you from a bad guy when they're profiling you. So understand what you're putting out there on, say, Facebook or LinkedIn or even company bios, leverage the security settings. Many of these um, systems have good security settings that you could use, say, a two-factor to log in or not show your friends or your likes on Facebook to the free world because they'll mine data to do that. So I'm not saying don't use social media, but just use it with your eyes open. Leverage the security settings. And equally important, in my view, is have consistency. So if I'm the bad guy and I'm targeting someone, one. I don't just draw a circle around that one individual. I draw it around their entire orbit, their spouse, their partner, their kids, their grandkids. So I look to find out what are their passions so that's the way I may be able to select the fraud scheme I'm going to use. So I think it's helpful for families to do what we refer to as a digital footprint analysis so you could see how your entire family looks like online. And if you want to operate at a level of discretion, as say, um, you know, the parent or the individual that is the wealth accumulator, that's all well and good. But if everyone in your family doesn't have the same level of discretion, you could be exposed. So it's it's worth doing a, a detailed digital footprint analysis and then having an awareness. So then you can decide as a family, here's how we're going to operate, or here's the security settings. So it's a, more of an awareness and a consistency standpoint. We talk to our clients
0: about not everyone's super. Sophisticated. Sophisticated, uh, cyber criminal. I mean, if they know you're out of town because on social media you're sharing and you're going, I can't wait to come back next Sunday. And I mean, it's not that hard to figure out you're not in your house and sure. and, and someone can uh, take advantage of you uh, the old school way. How do you suggest we talk to our families about about cybersecurity?
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with understanding where you have your wealth first and make sure you're leveraging the security settings that are offered to you because many of us have a lot of good education tools on our website and many corporations like ours do a number of things to protect behind the scenes, but there's things that proactively you can do as individuals and, as, and families. So Some of it is at login. Uh, make sure you use that extra password. Some of it is to leverage alerts. Virtually all of us have some level of alert functionality where you can get an email or a text um, alerting you to what could be potential suspicious activity some of the things we talked about on the digital footprint is understanding um, advertising vacation plans by posting photos when you're on vacation. I think it's nice. I love my family to take photos on vacation, Mm. but turning off the location services (laughs) on your your photo apps is probably a good idea Mm -hmm. because some people, it's not that hard to understand that there's metadata underneath those photos and someone can check the properties out and then Mm -hmm. they may know the latitude and longitude to the date and time of those photos, or even an auto office email message advertising you're out of the country for uh, a couple weeks. is You want to just be aware of, of what you're doing there. So for me, it's more of an awareness standpoint and taking advantage of things. So you can do a couple things proactively to protect yourself and then leverage what's available to you on what's important to the bad guys. What's important right. to the bad guys are the financial accounts, our social media accounts, um, our emails, your phones. It's helpful to take control of understanding what security set Things on on your phone that you can have, so it's more about protecting your data and understanding what's out there. You don't have to do a hundred things, but if you do just a couple, two or three things to make yourself a harder target, you'll be better off. Yeah, it sounds like
0: just following you know, the
1: three or four of the tips you gave reduce your odds of being a victim by about ninety
0: plus percent just by making it a little harder. Let them move on to the next person. Exactly. So, if we, our listeners
1: wanted to learn more, what what resources could we point them to? I think particularly corporate websites. We have a security center on ours and we have a lot of data that that we put out there. So I would leverage where you have your wealth and and, and make sure that you understand what's at your fingertips. If you have something happen to yourselves, I would report it. Deal with your advisors directly. If you have something happen from a standpoint where you see something is suspicious, let people know and and make sure you report it. I wouldn't hesitate taking the opportunity to work with law enforcement. There's many websites out there as well. The Trade Commission does a a nice job of putting out information. There's an identity theft assistance center that's out there. So I think there's many things that are at fingertips to provide helpful information and awareness. All right. If you were to just sum up the the couple things uh, our folks should do in the next 24 hours to make themselves more secure, how, how would you knock those out? I would have this concept of good cyber hygiene and a number of things to go in that bucket. Without question, leverage an extra password at login. So two authentication, particularly where your wealth is. I would try to secure your email accounts as well. I like people to freeze their credit that way, and not just you as an individual, but your partner, your spouse, your, your kids. That will um, significantly hamper someone, open up accounts in your name. Leveraging a, a separate device, I think, is a, a smart way to uh, protect yourself from exposing yourself to malware. But the other good digital hygiene tips I would recommend is don't click on links as you mentioned Peter if you don't have to I would keep your systems updated so your operating system whatever that is keep it updated antivirus and spyware protection I think is helpful but make sure you keep that updated as well I'm not a huge fan of using public Wi-Fi, particularly. Most of us have hotspots and data plans. I would leverage that where you can. Okay. Um, well, that's a, a
0: fantastic advice. I think that a lot of people have action items now. And uh, as always, you do a really amazing job giving really practical, valuable information to uh, folks. In this case, our listeners really appreciate you coming out here thank today. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Thanks for having me. This commentary is provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Past performance of any market results is no assurance of future performance. The information contained herein has been obtained from sources
1: deemed to be reliable but is not guaranteed.